I'd like to welcome Chris Johnston to the Billabong. You've been here before, I think, Chris. I have not to speak. Yeah. I met Chris many, many years ago. In fact, he was one of my lecturers when I did my Bible study, so sort of go back a long, long way. But welcome, Chris. We're really privileged to have you come with us and to share. Can I pray with you before we... Yeah, most certainly. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for Chris. I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for the knowledge of who you are that you've imparted into him. And Lord, I just pray that you would give him your wisdom, your power and your gentleness as he speaks to us through you today. Bless him, Lord. And may we have ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is doing in amongst us today. Amen. 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 Thank you, Teresa. And uh, thank you, Pastor Luke, and for the, the leadership team here uh, at Billabong for the, the kind invitation uh, to be here. It's such an important time of the year as well. Uh, I um, am part of the pastoral team at Eternal, which meets just down the road at Campbell Primary School. And my wife, uh, Fiona, is there uh, today. Uh, she's got responsibilities as they're handing out uh, gifts and things to various uh, staff. Uh, this morning. I'm uh, married with uh, two children, two adult children. My daughter uh, is married to Gareth, uh, Jessica is married to Gareth, and they have got two grandchildren through those uh, two, and they are uh, pastors or campus pastors of the nation's um, church out at Belmont uh, there. My son Richard is not yet married. We've been working on that, but we're not very good <laughs> on that side of things. But he's at uh, the nation's um, Maori campus. He's their uh, leadership uh, coordinator of their uh, leadership program uh, there at the college and also a primary school uh, teacher. A little bit about my family. As I said, I've met, uh, been at Eternal now and on the pastoral team, but my primary area of uh, focus or ministry has been at Table College and I've been there for a number of years now, probably about what, 20, 23 uh, years and in fact we've got Aaron and Andrew as well as Teresa have uh, all been students with us and it's been such a joy uh, to see the quality of people that God brings through that place. Uh, but that, uh, while it's been a, a number of years since I've been there, it was some time in my own life, and if you don't mind me just introducing a little bit about myself as part of an introduction to the sermon here today, it was some time prior to my actual um, being invited into the staff at table that God first spoke to me and, and made it real to me that I would be involved in a teaching capacity. In fact, I want to take you back to when I was about 18 or 19 and not a believer in Christ at the time. Uh, come from a family, a large family, a family of six children. Uh, you hear people talking about uh, some being born on the wrong side of the railway tracks. Well, the railway tracks were just across the road from where we lived at one point in time. And as I said, we had a family of six and we lived in a two-bedroom house. Well, how do you do that? Well, you have the two parents in the lounge room and you have four boys in one bedroom and two girls in the other. And as they start to grow up, you've got to expand and so you put a buy a caravan, an old caravan, and you put two of the boys in one caravan and you find you need another caravan, so you put two boys in the other caravan. And so here I was as the 
the fifth child. I wasn't the eldest son or the eldest daughter, as you can see. I wasn't the youngest. I wasn't one of the twins. Uh, my youngest uh, brother, so I wasn't even the youngest boy. I was the fifth, just in there somewhere in this group. My parents were not followers of Christ uh, in a, uh, a deliberate sense, but they did believe that their children should understand a little bit about the Christian faith and sent us off to Sunday school voluntarily as long as we wanted to. And one by one, my uh, brothers and sisters stopped attending. And I finally was the, the last to stop attending, probably before um, my uh, last year at primary school. But the event I want to talk about was when I was 18 or 19. Local tavern had just closed, and I was there with my mates on a hill, uh, they call it Mount Motoroa Domain. It looks over the city of New Plymouth in New Zealand. It looks over the city, looks over the ocean, and up behind it you can see the beautiful Mount Taranaki uh, that was there. We were skylarking around on a Saturday evening at this place on this hill. And during that time, I just pulled aside because there was an emptiness and a sense where there must be something more to life than what I was experiencing. And pulling off to, my so uh, to the side and just looking out to the ocean, I recall having a conversation with who I don't know, but there was a sense, a very strong impression that was quite transforming at least as far as my own imagination as to what the future might hold. That one day I would know the truth and I would teach others that truth. Well, I didn't know what that truth was and to um, draw this story uh, more quickly to a close, there was quite a journey and a process that underwent. Firstly, it was God bringing into, uh, somebody into my life who had a Christian faith, an active Christian faith, and was able to share that with me. But there were a number of obstacles that occurred in bringing about that sense of destiny or focus, if you like, of being a teacher of the truth to others, about that coming to fruition. In fact, there were many opportunities that I had uh, just uh, maturing as a disciple of Jesus in teaching and, and preaching. But that sense of what it was that God was calling me personally to was not yet uh, finding fruition. In fact, there were times where there were many disappointments. I had planned what that might look like and thought that God would open up this path because it was a very good path that I had thought about and only to have that shut down on me. And I felt disappointed and discouraged with that. And even during my uh, initial studies in Bible, they looked like they would be shipwrecked when I was in hospital in, the, in LA uh, with a herniated disc in my back, wondering if I was actually going to be able to even walk properly again. Back in Perth, I had that same complaint arise that put me in bed rest for uh, a six, to, to three, uh, six weeks to a three-month period. And then there was in pastoral ministry going through what was one of the most painful and ch challenging periods of my life, experiencing uh, burnout. And those in the help, uh, people helping profession uh, might know the dangers of that. Well, I slipped into that, unfortunately. 
And uh, it took me a couple of years, actually, to walk through that. But eventually, God brought me into a place, while it hasn't been perfect by any means, but there was a sense of fulfillment that I was ex- uh, outliving uh, the very things that God had spoken to me to about in that hill many years ago. Well, I'm speaking today about when hope materialises and our responses to that and learning to live and pray in hope. Well, actually, that's good enough for me to see up there. That's great. Whoops. I've had fun with technology and, uh, and I've been in places where I can't see the rear screen, but I can see that, so that's, that's excellent. So when hope materialises in your own life, how surprised will you be? If God sent a messenger to you to say that your prayers are about to be answered, would you be sceptical? Would you say, yeah, sure? Would you rejoice? Would you celebrate? And what about if it had been a long time coming to fruition? What if it had been something that you'd been praying for for many years? What if it had been a promise that you sensed that God had given to you And now it seems like that was so long ago and the events of your life have changed and obstacles have come up that this now longer seems like it is something that could take place. I want to thank you uh, that read a wonderful reading of of the scripture um, here today. And we're going to reflect on this text um, here and really the responses of Zechariah and Mary to the promises of God. Now let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it's via your word that your spirit uh, engages with us in a transformative way to bring about the realities of which you have called us for and your design and purposes for this world. We do pray, as has been prayed already, that you would open up our hearts and our eyes to see what it is that you are doing in the world, but to see also what it is that you are doing within our own lives and our spheres of influence. In Jesus I pray. Amen. So it's interesting when we look at these uh, characters that are introduced to us in this opening portion uh, of this chapter, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we learn that they are righteous uh, people before God. They've been faithful to their covenant um, here, and they've been walking blamelessly in it. They're a priestly family. They're elderly, and they have no children. And while at the time it was sometimes thought that to not have children was 
a judgment for some offences that have taken place in the family. Here, the very introduction of these characters tell us that that's not so in this case. These are a righteous couple. They're blameless, yet Elizabeth is barren. And we see Zechariah, we're introduced to him as he's caught up for his priestly role in the temple. And uh, his name is drawn by Lot, and it's quite an, a rare event. There is more priests than roles, and so that was done by Lot. And uh, he gets to go into uh, the inner part of the temple, not the most holy place, but does get to go into the first section where the general populace didn't go. I don't know if you can see that um, here or not, it might be losing its uh, charge, but right into here to burn incense before the Lord. And it's there that he has this encounter with Gabriel, the angel of the Lord. And the announcement here to Zechariah is that his prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Now, as a priest... And uh, uh, Zechariah did not live in Jerusalem, so he's not in that sort of the upper echelons of that priesthood. Uh, There he lives in a village in in the hills surrounding uh, Jerusalem. But in his role as a priest, he would be teaching uh, uh, his fellow Jews uh, from the Scriptures and would have been teaching about the occurrences of, Uh, throughout the Bible, where God had uh, met with couples that had no children in the past. Uh, Can you think of any Um, here? Perhaps you can. Perhaps you can think, uh, for example, of Abraham and Sarah, or Jacob and his wife Rachel, Manara and his wife, who were the parents of um, Samson. And Alkanah and Hannah, who were the parents of Samuel. God had met uh, these people in the past uh, who were barren, who had no children, and had fulfilled that promise. And I'm sure Zechariah would have known those scriptures and actually taught those scriptures uh, in the past. What we learn of Abraham and Sarah and Paul's reflection on them as they received the promise of Isaac that Abraham hoped against hope. That though he was old and his wife was old, he didn't look at the, their, uh, the bodies and the weaknesses of their own bodies and the, the seemingly impossibility of it. But we're told uh, there in Paul's reflection that he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And Abraham and Sarah received the promise. It's interesting then, when we look at Zechariah's response, this righteous person, this person who knows the scriptures and could teach the scriptures. But in his words here, in this questioning, How shall I know this? We see doubt in his response. 
Zechariah's question begins with kata ti, which in the Greek, uh, which is the Greek um, here, which literally means according to what. And Garland here translates it this way. I translate it to show that he is asking for proof. On what basis? On what basis can I believe in what you are saying? I want to have a sign. I want evidence for this. And it seems here that the length of time that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been faithfully praying, faithfully asking God, please give us a child, that the promise has now become something that is so far off that when the word comes that this is about to be fulfilled for them, he has trouble believing what is said. Zechariah will not trust the angel's word until he receives a sign. See, Zechariah was looking for the basis for his knowledge that this would be true. Gabriel was looking for his believing response to the promise. Zechariah had been praying all these years for a child, but his response reveals that he did not expect his prayers to be answered. Now, we can uh, perhaps look at this and say, Zechariah, how could you? Here in the temple, where if you would expect any uh, appearance of God, if you would expect any divine messenger to come, it would be in the temple of God. Surely you would have expected. Surely in your teaching and your knowledge of scriptures, you would expect God to be there and able to work within your own life. So I said, the echoes of scriptures, uh, scriptural stories from Israel's hallowed tradition or hallowed past reveal Luke's basic theological assumption. The same God who acted, the same God who made promises and acted in surprising ways in Israel's history is now acting in the present in surprising ways to bring those promises to, the, uh, to fulfillment. Before we get too hard on Zechariah, it's good for us to see how he might reflect attitudes and positions in our own lives. See, Zechariah in his day, this story that we now have in scriptures weren't scriptures. He had his scriptures and they spoke of how God could faithfully work and had faithfully worked in the lives of these other people. But it's one thing to ascend to that. There's one thing to say, yes, this is the God whom I serve, and he's done these marvelous works in the past. But to move from that place and to understand that God is actually at work in our lives, the same God who is at work in the life of Abraham and others who followed is at work at this time, at Zechariah's time, 
and at our time to bring about his purposes in our lives. We can assent to what's there in the Scriptures, but that realization that the same God who was at work there is now at work in you. An interesting thing here that this wasn't just about answering Zechariah's and Elizabeth's prayer, removing the disgrace that Elizabeth felt of being childless. But this gift, this promise that was being fulfilled to them was part of God's broader purposes in the world. God, in answering the promises to them and the prayer to them, was to further his kingdom work throughout the world. You know, we find an interesting uh, parallel uh, here in the lives of the early disciples. Excuse me for a second. And this is why I encourage us to identify with Zechariah in this passage, because the early church uh, were in a very similar situation. And it's rather uh, humorous as we think about uh, what took place. You might recall that Herod uh, attacked uh, the early church. He attacked uh, and had executed James, and Peter was imprisoned. Do you recall that event from your Bible reading? Peter was imprisoned. Herod had planned following the Passover event that uh, he would, and unleavened uh, bread celebration, that he would bring Peter out and have him executed. And Peter is there in under guard, chained up with guards on either side of him, uh, locked in, uh, in a prison setting. And uh, the early church there, members of that, the disciples are praying, and, uh, and Mary, the mother of John Mark, in their household there in, in the city praying for God's deliverance. And the Lord visits um, Peter by an angel. You'll recall the story. Uh, Peter's actually thinking this might be a dream. Finally, the, the chains come off his, of his hands. He's walking out. The guards aren't arresting him. He walks out the prison gate. The, the gate, the barred gate opens for him. And he says, man, this is real. And off he goes to uh, Mary's house and begins to knock on the door. Do you recall that? He's there knocking on the door um, here. Uh, and Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the door, and she recognizes Peter's voice. And, they, and she runs back to, where, to the room with the, with the disciples and prays, Peter's at the door! Peter's at the door! And they look to, um, at Rhoda and say, you must be out of your mind, Rhoda. <laughs> it's not Peter. Peter's in prison. We're praying for his deliverance. And Rhoda runs back um, here. Who's at the door? It's Peter, Rhoda. It's Peter, and he's there knocking. And she goes back to the disciples again. It's Peter. He's at the door. He's at the gate. He's been released. You, you must be out of your mind. Rhoda, he's in prison. He's going to be executed. Maybe he's been executed. Maybe you're seen as ghost. 
eventually, the disciples come and Peter's still there knocking at the door. And they open, they see that Peter has been set free and he's been released. The funny thing is that it was harder for the Lord to get Peter through the disciples' gate than it was to break him out of uh, Herod's prison cells. These powerful, faithful, prayerful saints of God missed, missed the revelation that the humble servant Rhoda was able to see and to testify to. God is able to do great things. Well, this brings me now to the contrast in response that we find of Mary to that of Zechariah's. When the Lord announces to her, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. If you like, this is Luke's Emmanuel passage. God is with you. God is with you. You see, that's all that really matters in life is the knowledge that God is with us. Because when God, we know that God is with us, there's that realisation, there's that understanding that it's going to be all right. He's going to bring about his purposes. He's going to do what he said he will do, regardless of the circumstances that seem to be facing us. And we see Mary's trust here. How will this be? Sometimes our translations don't bring out the difference that we do find in the Greek um, here. Mary's question in 134 differs from Zechariah's and begins with how pos uh, is the Greek term here. Mary asks in what way will her pregnancy or what way her pregnancy will happen, assuming that it will happen. And you know what? It's perfectly legitimate to say, Lord, what are you doing in these circumstances? Because you are at work. It's undoubted that you are at work in my life. It's undoubted to me that you are at work in these circumstances. But open my eyes. Help me to understand how you're doing this and what you're doing. And it's what the Lord is wanting to open up to us today is to see what he is saying, or hear what he is saying, to see what he is doing in our lives at this time and bringing about his purposes. Unlike Zechariah, she trusts before she is given the sign. She's told that Elizabeth, her cousin, is already, who is barren, is already with child in six months. Now, this little picture here uh, comes from Wadi Rum uh, in Jordan. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my son and I had the privilege of uh, doing a visit of the Holy Land and also into uh, Jordan. And uh, this place here was uh, with a, uh, it's a very dry uh, 
uh, barren valley. That's what a wadi is. And um, it's where they filmed. Lawrence of Arabia was filmed in this place. Um, the more recent movie, The Martian, was filmed there with Matt Damien uh, uh, stranded on, the, on Mars. So it's red, it's dry, it's barren. But there's an amazing oasis there. But it was near that that I saw this picture. And you know what? Um, for those who, who just want scientific explanations, yes, there is a spring nearby. Yes, a seed could have fallen into a rock. And that's how you see this. But I look at this, and I'm always looking for pictures that remind me that God is at work in the world. You know, I find that we need that in our lives. We need to be able to see things that remind us that God is working redemptively through our lives. And I see this rock. I think here, uh, it's almost like somebody put uh, God to a test. Um, you know, here's this dry wilderness place, barren. Uh, can you make a tree grow uh, in this place? And it's almost like the Lord said, you know what? I'll do better than that. I'll make this tree grow in the middle of a rock in this dry, barren place. And there you get this picture of a tree that's not only growing, but flourishing in a rock, in a dry, barren place. You see, God is able to fulfill his word. In this translation, in the ESV, it says, for nothing, your word will be able to be brought to fruition here. Nothing is impossible with God. And that same God who has done these marvelous things in the lives of the saints that we read about in the scriptures is at work in our lives here today. So what is the response here that I want us to encourage uh, or I want to encourage you to adopt here today as we identify with Mary. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And so I want to encourage you to pray in hope. In the parable of the persistent widow, who had an unjust judge looking after uh, her affairs, who she had to appeal to again and again. And of course, we do not have an unjust judge. We have a father who loves us and is bringing about his purposes in our lives. And Jesus told that parable to them to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Praying in hope is to live and hope is to adopt a basic stance or a direction like iron filings in a magnetic field. It's positioning our, position, our, our focus, our attitude towards life and towards prayer and to the fact that God is with us, present in our midst, that we are open for him to do and perform what he said he would do and perform. I'm going to ask Pastor Luke and the team to come up as we close now at this point. 
and revisit this opening lines here when hope materialises. Will it be that you're sceptical? This isn't for me. I've been abandoned. It's for others. It's not for my life. Are you open to rejoice? Are you ready for this? Church, are you ready collectively and individually to be surprised that God is at work in your midst? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And Father, as we have sat under your word here today, in the presence, your presence by your spirit, who witnesses to our lives of your reality and of your presence. And the truth of your word, that you are at work in us, collectively as a congregation, individually as your people. Your plans and purposes for us have been swept up into your great redemptive work that you're doing in the world. That you're going to bring it to pass. Create in us that heart like Mary. Will we come and say today, Lord, let it be according to your word. Amen. Thank you.